Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me as always are my two co-hosts. I'm Hui Chen Bu, your writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I am Anya Crittenton, a writer and editor in Los Angeles. All right, friends, it is spooky season. It is almost halfway through October, which means that the Halloween fun and spirits are in full waking swing. And so this year, for a all-around spooky episode, we are going to be talking about a certain mythological creature similar to our episode on witches. Uh, But this time, we are talking about vampires. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Spooky uh, scary. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> One vampire. Uh, uh, uh. Two vampires. Uh, uh, Honestly, uh. three the... co-hosts. Uh, uh, uh. Three. Honestly, the best vampire in media. We should just end the episode now. Like well, the best is Count Jocula. Blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, vampires have become quite a thing in media, uh, both scary and funny, romantic, gothic, sexy, mysterious, all these things. Um, but before And sparkly. Um, but before we dive into kind of how media has treated vampire, which will be the thrust of our episode, I'm going to give you guys just a quick, a quick, <laughs> a quick little thing on the vampires. Oh, uh, 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 uh. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) That's the last time I'm going to do a vampire voice because no thank you. Or Um, is it? (laughs) God. So let me just tell you real quick about vampires throughout history. So the idea of a vampire, of an undead creature, um, kind of uh, consuming the life force of living creatures in order to live, to kind of keep going with their undead existence, has existed since basically the dawn of man. Um, The term vampire didn't appear until the 18th century, but the idea of these sort of like succubus type uh, creatures have existed long, long before the 18th century. Um, The Persians were one of the first recorded um, civilizations to discuss sort of like the undead. And on a lot of their like pottery and artwork, they would depict like undead creatures sucking the blood from others. So vampires have existed since humans have existed, except for maybe not in the way that we think of them now. As long as necrophilia has existed. Exactly. Um, and But the term vampire itself came uh, to be popularized in the 18th century, like I said. Um, in And it started in Europe. And a lot of it came down to people's ignorance about death and decomposition and corpses and how corpses kind of decompose uh, over time. And people kind of didn't have the scientific explanation for that. And so vampirism became an exploration um, and a deeply rooted kind of belief in folklore in Europe. Um, One of the biggest ways it was popularized was a like breakout um, in Western Europe in 18th century of like this mass hysteria belief Um, about corpses being staked and people being accused of vampirism. And it became this whole, it was sort of like what we think of as like the Salem witch trials and stuff, but in for vampires in Europe where like everyone got consumed by this idea and started accusing people of things. It was kind of 
it kind of took Europe by storm and everyone was consumed by it. And all the beliefs of that stemmed from the Balkans and Eastern Europe. Um, and so at that time in the 18th century, that's when kind of our modern understanding of vampires started to come into play. Um, and different societies or different cultures have different names for vampires. So like in Romania, they're known as Strigoi, which is um, what Rochelle Mead uses in the Vampire Academy series. So like you can see how different authors and creators have kind of taken different cultures, beliefs of vampires and um, played with them in their storytelling. So long winded way of saying vampires have been around for a very long time, um, but how we understand them, they created in 18th century Europe. So the first uh, popular story of a modern day vampire was in 1819 with the publication of The Vampire, spelled with a Y, not an I. Vampire. By Vampire. Vampire. Uh, by John Polidori. Um, and it was very successful at the time that it was published. Um, perhaps overtaking it in success and influence and popularism was Bram Stoker's 1897 novel, Dracula. And this now considered the quintessential vampire novel and is the basis for all modern vampire legend. Um, and since then, we have seen vampires depicted in a myriad of ways, in all sorts of storytelling and media forms. And they have, you know, they have sparkled. Some can live in the sun, some can eat garlic, some are more traditional and they, you know, they can't be near crosses or silver, not silver, that's for werewolves. <laughs> no, silver. Um, Silver's uh -huh. a big thing for vampires. Really? Yeah, I thought that was just werewolves. Yeah, they can't hold, they can't, werewolves, you, the thing about silver with werewolves is the silver bullet, but vampires can't wear silver. It burns them. Um, okay, you know, if, yeah, yeah, that's like, yeah. There's yeah, a, no, it's yeah. not really commonly used because I think werewolves and because werewolves and vampires are their own separate like identities. That like the silver bullet is very common with um, the vampire or the werewolf. But I remember silver being used in True Blood as well as yeah, in the Blade what? series. Um, and yes, uh, the Blade uh, series of movies where, like, if they wear silver, um, they'll die. Or, like, Blade uses, like, wooden bullets with silver insides to basically, like, double kill them. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, that's and, like, okay. The sword crazy. is silver. That's so, so cool. Sorry. Okay, by the way, Blade is awesome. Uh, it is awesome. fights sword. So, so clearly there are a lot of things about vampires that we now hold as, like, kind of the, the pillars of what, you know, makes them the creatures that we know them to be. And again, creators and storytellers have kind of played fast and loose with these rules um, to tell their own stories. So we're going to get into why, you know, we think vampires have become such a lasting figure in media and storytelling and why we like them and what they represent thematically. But before we dive into that, um, I just want to hear from all of us kind of our brief perception of vampires and the vampire media <clears throat> that we perhaps like. So HT, since you are one of the biggest advocates for a very popular vampire series, I think that you should go first. So tell us briefly your relationship with vampires. Well, you guys might have heard me talk about this show before, but I really like a little known show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And <laughs> which came from a movie first. Yes, it's, which I've also um, actually seen. It's not Are great. you a fan of the movie? Okay. Um, it's got Ben Affleck in it. It does. And he shows up for like a hot second. 
Uh, you know, the, you, it's interesting because you can see sort of the seeds for the show in the movie, but the delivery is all off and the tone is all wonky that you can see why Joss Whedon was very unhappy with what happened with this movie and decided to go uh, and develop it into a series, which ended up actually appending a lot of our uh, instilled ideas about vampires and horror and the horror genre. It, you know, as, as you all know, it's based on the idea that the blonde girl who runs into the alley and is going to get killed by the monster actually turns around and kills the monster herself. And um, they, he, he does something similar with vampires in that it, it uh, keeps all the established lore. They can't be in sunlight. They can't um, they don't like garlic, they don't like steaks, <laughs> they will get killed by a steak, um, but, and yet it also somewhat, uh, not revamps, but it kind of, revamps, ha <laughs> <laughs> <Revamped. laughs> it evolves the idea of them being this metaphor for sexuality, like the symbol of sexuality, um, because yes, they are very dangerous and very sexual sexual creatures, um, and I've always that that metaphor has always appealed to me. I always like the monsters metaphor thing, which is why Buffy has always been such a a favorite of mine. Um, and you're a big gothic fan too. I am a big gothic fan. I did watch uh, Interview with a Vampire a while back and really loved that as well. Um, such a good movie. It's so good, uh, and yeah, it's um it takes the idea of them being like the sexual predator, and uh, it turns it into something more of like a coming of age loss of innocence story uh with the very like on the nose thing of sleeping with a guy and he loses his soul blah blah blah. uh but i i remember like loving buffy so much that when twilight rolled around i was just very offended by all of the um mythology changing that that series did because it was it's not really a vampire it the only shared theme that they have is the idea of vampires being uh, some sort of symbol or like of sexuality so um, that's the only thing that like is brought along into Twilight but Buffy the Vampire Slayer just does it so well and uh, have, let me ask you have your thoughts on that evolved I mean you know you don't have to like be a fan of Twilight obviously but like mm-hmm. have your thoughts on that evolved in that like playing and creating different rules and mythology for vampires in your story is just as valid as going with the more traditional route. So do you kind of like, do you see the mythology of Twilight in a different way now that you're older and have like read more stories and. Sure. It does still doesn't quite appeal to me. Um, no, 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 no. Yeah. I'm not saying like whether or not you like it or appeal or mm-hmm. appeals to you, but like you said that you were like offended by like the, how they didn't really capture that mythology that you knew and loved. Yeah. But like, do you think there's something to be said for taking something well-known and kind of like, creating a new mythology around it and you know I think there is something to be said I don't know if the Twilight series in general was the best at executing that um but I I am more like uh amenable to the idea of just like you know changing that mythology and doing something different with it I mean after all Buffy the Vampire Slayer did something with that as well um and I you know the vampire has always appealed to me in that regard it's it's very Byronic I can't speak I was just gonna say it was very Byronic yeah it's very Byronic romanticism yes it's a very Byronic uh type of creature um the idea of uh dangerous sexuality so are you I feel like I should know this mm-hmm. and I'm embarrassed that I don't but are you Angel or Spike 
I think that she is meant to be with Angel, but I like at the end of the series that she is with no one. I think yes. that I I think that they're she and Angel are fated together. But because I I'm a romantic like that, um, and I do like Spike as a character, but more on his own. But I think okay, at the so, end, I think like the whole like cookie dough thing really appealed to me because it's like, yeah, they're yeah. they're not done yet. They're not at the point in their lives when they can be together yet. But right. they are fated and to Angel, be together. More so than Spike fits that like traditional like Byron hero romantic lead. Yes, Rudy boy. I love my Rudy boys. You do, you do. But Spike is Rudy in his own way, and he goes through in a his lot own of way. But like character, it's dark. It's similar to the True Blood thing. I'm. I'm not a huge fan of Buffy, but I'm a huge fan of True Blood. And I was always a Bill girl over an Eric girl. And they are definitely the Angel Spike molds mm-hmm. in that Bill is the broodier, more Byronic. Yeah, and Bill is the Byronic hero. And, like, that's that's why that's it appeals to me. Like, that's part of why I like him. Like, I don't find it to be boring or, you know, traditional cookie cutter as some people do. Like, they like the more rebellious, like, blonde-haired vampire. It's always the blondes. But- I know always, but I like I I love that like you HT. I love that gothic hero, that very traditional mm-hmm. like brooding Byronic hero, and that's why I always loved Bill the most throughout the entire series, even when it got batshit and very weird and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, batshit. <clears throat> it did get very batshit. So I completely mm-hmm. understand um, where you fall on that, and I think we'll get into kind of like why the gothic romance is part of the appeal of vampires yes um, so i talked yes. a little bit about the vampire yeah. being a symbol of like sexual deviancy sexual danger and i think that his its appeal as a monster is that it's a very elegant monster it's yes. one with intelligent design with agency and looks and speaks like a human but what differentiates it from a zombie which is the more like base version of that in that it, it looks and speaks like a human. Well, it doesn't speak. It looks like a human, but it is devoid of all that makes us human. Whereas vampire is like a little bit elevated from that. It's like a, almost like a Jekyll and Hyde version of ourselves. It's, our, it's the symbol of our darkest, deepest, um, most deviant sort of uh, impulses. And yes. um, that's what has always appealed to me uh, with vampires. Um, and, um, that's why I think they, they're so just, um, you, not universal, but they, they've stuck in our cultural mindset for so long. And like, that's why they've been such a strong sort of, uh, icon in a way, uh, because they, they have always represented as long as like they have been in the cultural terminology they've always represented that like deviancy and that like darkness and people like playing with the dark so um and i i did i have like a little more uh brushes with vampires i have as as i said watched interview with a vampire which i really liked i don't think i ever read it but i probably should get around to it i know anne rice you don't need to you really i have read that novel and other anne rice novels in that universe and they're not they're not honestly great and also, like, she is, like, so problematic in and of herself that it really? started to, like, it, oh, yeah, Anne Rice is not a, she is not a supportive creator of, like, fans, and um, she is very um, much she, about, like. She hates fan fiction. She hates fan fiction. 
she hates just kind of like fan creations um which i find to be very off-putting um and you know she kind of sees her word as like god's word and like her vampire world and stuff which i don't love Mm. so i honestly and her writing is it's fine Mm. um so i honestly say like don't bother there are better uh vampire novels which i am actually gonna mention some um so i say just stick with the movies because they are better an interview with vampire is a great movie it is really great Mm. kirsten dunson that is amazing i can't believe she was like 10 years old i mean yes tom cruise brad pitt are Ugh. great. Tom Cruise's Lestat was like, I think that was his first time playing an overt villain, at least early in his career. I'm not And sh- I love it. Yeah, he's just it. so excellent in it. And he's he'll so never do something like that again. <laughs> Which is so unfortunate because he was so good. He's so chilling and sinister and, and fantastic in it. Everyone in yes. that in that cast is just I mean, like, Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Uh, Antonio Banderas is just like, sec- he's sensuality incarnate, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've seen Interview with a Vampire, and more most recently, I actually went back to what I thought was the source. I actually wasn't av- aware of a Vampire, the eighteen nineteen novel you were talking about, um, mm-hmm. but I I read Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I guess it makes sense now why when I read it, I was so surprised by how fully formed the mythology of the vampire was in Bram Stoker's Dracula. I was like, mm-hmm. wow all the elements are here they really haven't changed in the centuries since dracula was published it's still the idea that he can't be in sunlight he looks wan like uh very uh gaunt and um the you know the mythology of the garlic the steak everything like that was all there and um it makes sense now. It's, it makes sense that everything that we know of vampires basically stems back to Dracula, including the themes of the him being like the sexual predator, um, yes. and the uh, the um, sort of the appeal of that danger, which is something that I found really fun to read. I I really like Dracula. I was surprised by how action packed it was, because uh, I was telling. Anya and will be this before the podcast uh that it would it made me laugh so much that the first couple chapters which followed jonathan um was basically like these very action-packed sequences in which he was climbing out of a tower and evading capture and hiding in like this dark room and all the meanwhile he was finding time to write these really florid letters detailing his actions he's like i was just like being chased by these horrifying women who were beautiful and yet they wanted to kill me and that was just really funny to me but i was very impressed by the female characters too uh especially uh what's her name such with an mina? M? mina mina was kind of the heroine of this novel like jonathan was kind of a Absolutely. wet rag the entire time yes. and mina was like i'm gonna take things into my own hands because you don't know how to do anything jonathan harker is no one special (laughs) he just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah yeah but i was very impressed by mina and i really liked her um her and lucy and their different depictions of the two kind of women that are often depicted like the more compassionate one the more sort of uh uh assertive one um and uh i yeah i will have to say i just i really like dracula and it was just really astonishing to me to how much the mythology has held over the years since it was published yeah. so yeah 
Um, and yeah, I, you can see that my love for vampires stems back to my very specific literary tastes, which is me watching Beauty and the Beast as a young kid and being like, wow, I really like this story. And then reading Jane Eyre when I was in sixth, in sixth grade and yep. being like, that's why. I'm like, two of the most influential stories on you. It's like very much explains like an interest in vampires. Yep. So I really enjoy vampires and I like the the way that they've evolved over the years, even if they have very much stayed the same the same in mythology wise, except for Twilight, which tried to do something different, didn't execute it very well. But I okay. I, I do like when we have mockumentaries like what we do in the shadows, playing with those established um mythologies and um and uh you know fun little tokens of the genre so uh i think that vampires are such a rich um air like subject to mine Mm -hmm. that we'll always go back to vampires there'll always be another vampire craze like we had when buffy was out when twilight was out i'm sure there'll be another one soon that evolves to like i don't know super fast vampires or something like that (laughs) But um, yeah, that's uh, that's my little personal history with vampires. Big angel fan. Love myself a vampire with a slow. I love me a tragic, ironic hero till the yeah, day I die. <laughs> so <clears throat> that is HT's history with vampires. Willoughby, um, you took a vampire class in college, right? I did. Um, so we got to meet a couple a vampires in real life. Amazing. Oh, Amazing. Yeah. Did you I'm kill sure. any? Did you stake any? Yeah. Well, no, we couldn't because it would have been like you know a lot of blood to clean up. Um, because you know when they drain the blood, that's that's their food. They're so like they a, just have this like, like a stomachs full of blood. <laughs> yeah, it's it would be gross and disgusting. Um, um, and like even when you stake it, all the dust that's a lot to clean up. Um, no, no. Okay, yeah. So I took a vampire. I took like a vampire lit class in college, and we read all the stuff that we're supposed to read with vampires. Um, we watched. It was also. It, it was more than just literature. So we watched episodes from Buffy. We watched the Blade movies. Um, <clears throat> we did a lot of like well-rounded vampires and literature, and like all the themes that are across the board with vampires. Um, and I sort of was taken by the. Van Helsing, uh, I am legend route. So more you of not. Be. I am not surprised at very all that you, you would, like yeah. be into yeah. the whole Van Helsing aspect. So not just like vampires as a creature of, of, for evil, but also their their foil. They're like the the one who is to take them down. So like the the hero of of most n- vampire novels. Uh, it's very much on brand for me. Um, but is. yeah, I w- actually read I Am Legend way before college. Um, it was, uh, the movie had come out and for either Christmas or my birthday, my mom got me, um, the I Am Legend, the, the book that it, that was based on. Um, and that was very much more in line with what we, like, it was a, it was a story written by a writer, a Star Trek writer. Um, I believe the story was written in the fifties or sixties, and it, but it's very much more about, uh, like the, this, how these vampires are, you know, the whole, like flip on I Am Legend is that they are like like real people like they are like like they've evolved like they're not just mindless zombies like the movie makes out to um the, to be but that that these creatures are a new race that have taken over the planet and that uh the main character 
in the movie in the book uh basically studies them and learns that like not just crosses but if they were like a jewish uh man or woman when they died like the star of david would be their cross version like their version of the cross where like if you held up like a star of david necklace they would like or if, they, if you held up like the the muslim symbol they would do that as well as well like all religious symbols are now like um you like uh uh like vampires can't handle that sort of like because they have no soul that sort of deal um so i thought that was an interesting way of like sort of uh expanding the ironically being progressive um but it's, it's like not just it's not just the cross that'll do it. it it's all religious symbols uh so i thought that was interesting and and uh i have like a weird soft spot for the van helsing hugh jackman movie uh <laughs> Which is a movie that I actually haven't so seen. That movie is so fun, okay? I don't care what people say. It's, like, bad, but it's so fun. <laughs> exactly. It is sort of... It's fun because it's also, like, there's Wolfman, and there's Frankenstein, and there's Dracula as, like, a classic Dracula. Like, I'm going to kill everybody, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but then you've got, like, action hero Hugh Jackman, who is playing... Uh, technically Gabriel Van Helsing and not Abraham Van Helsing because they couldn't get the rights to Abraham Van Helsing, um, which is sort of funny, uh, which is, it's weird. I don't know why, or they, I don't know why they didn't call him Abraham, but they called him Gabriel. Um, and he's like, it's like this fun action packed movie. And they try to make him like almost like James Bond in a way where they have like, he has like uh, David Met Wenham, Wen Wenham, David, um he plays like the uh the cue to van helsing's james bond and has like all these fun stuff uh and it's just sort of real it's real neat and i gotta i i really appreciate like that sort of silliness involved um and, and yeah it's just uh van helsing is a very good uh silly movie and so like i just i i did like my whole thesis on uh van helsing for my vampire lit class about how he's supposed to be like the 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 answer to dracula and sort of like the the good force versus dracula's evil force and like all that um and that was uh that was good i'm trying to think um so i'm more of a werewolf person in terms of the creek the myth the myths that we that we uh the gothic myths and stuff um you know your teen wolves and your big wolves on campuses uh and so but it was like the conflict between vampires and werewolves like in the underworld films were like even though i haven't seen those but i've read about them and so it's just sort of They're interesting so how fun. like va va vampires listen, are supposed to yeah. listen well but you need to see michael sheen in the werewolf it is life-changing Oh, it's so good. You need to watch Underworld Rise of the Lycans because that's the prequel about his character. Listen. Mm -hmm. And that movie is a predicated on the idea of werewolves versus vampires. So, like, right. highly recommend Rise of the Lycans. So much yeah, fun. Yeah, it's just, it's just sort of funny because it's like you've got... <laughs> I didn't say anything. Stop shaking your head. She is shaking... <laughs> Listeners, you cannot see it, but she is shaking her head at me. Um... What I like about the differences between werewolves and vampires is that vampires are supposed to be these, like, very much, like, uh, classic villains who are handsome and, like, like 
upper class and then like high status and then uh the werewolves are supposed to be more low status and like more animalistic and they but the the ironic part of it is that they both um succumb to their urges in very animalistic ways in terms of fighting in terms of like killing but vampires and werewolves are very different in, in terms of appearance um that's so i think really that that's a really point will it be yeah that they're both evil in a way but they both go about it by being different and i think uh it it's sort of it that's flipped on its head and what we do in the shadows when the vampires meet the werewolves <laughs> and the werewolves are getting all like animalistic and like ready to pounce but the vampires are just like oh look at these werewolves blah 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 um i think and... werewolves <laughs> werewolves well, no, not, not werewolves werewolves not swearwolves um they're totally swearwolves. but yeah no uh it's all it's all good uh what we do in the shadows is really good uh so that's a, a roundabout way of me saying that in terms of vampire stories i like the the foils against the vampires uh, uh, as well as the vampires themselves. But m I'm more focused on like, how do people react to vampires? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, also, my roommate just pointed out to me that versatile actor Michael Sheen also played a vampire in Twilight. So he has played a vampire and a werewolf. <laughs> so in this house, we stand Michael Sheen. We do stand Michael Sheen. I have nothing against Michael Sheen. You just—he's very good. Tron Legacy, my, like, like emphatic, like Michael Sheen. I mean, like Michael Sheen is great in Underworld. The rest of those movies around. Oh my him god, they are, are not—they not, are not good movies. But like Rise of the Lycan specifically is like my bread and butter because like it's Michael Sheen's lead character, but it's also like he falls in love with like the daughter of like the vampire daughter of like the main vampire like king dude bill Nye, and so it's like a romeo and juliet type story so it's like all these things that it's like very tropey and very like gothic romance so like that movie specifically even more than any of the other underworld movies like i just love so much because it, it, it the the love story is like the main plot and that's to me i'm just like ah yes forbidden love so i have a question um, for you guys um do you think because of the vampire? Share my vampire. Oh, oh, oh right. What I'm about so me? sorry, Anya. Okay. <gasps> yes. You share no, your I story. Will, let me talk. Let me talk very briefly because no. I've actually I've interjected a lot here. Go go as as long as you want because this is your your episode. You know, you love the vampire. <laughs> it's all our episode. It is. We're we're a democratic podcast. Um, I'm more with HT on when it comes to vampires, and that I really love the Byronic romantic capital R heroes and stories um vampires are probably my favorite mythological horror creature just because of the sensuality around them and the romance um i'm very much into all of that and you can see it similar to ht in a lot of the media i consume that maybe is not vampiric in nature but like has those similar tones like a beauty and the beast or like a phantom of the opera where it has that sort of like mysterious dangerous dark creature um, and romance is kind of at the center of it all. So I'm definitely a sucker for the traditional vampires um, and everything they represent. So I like a lot of the same media that you both like when it comes to vampires. Um, what we do in the shadows, both the movie and the TV show are wonderful. I'm also a huge fan of Interview with a Vampire. 
Um, but some of the other titles, I wanted to share some other ones with you that I think are really great. Um, I'm Again, I said I'm a big fan of True Blood. I watched it till the end, even when it got very bad. Um, <laughs> and I also am a big fan, let's see, of The Historian, which is a novel by Elizabeth Kostova. Um, I've heard of the that. Lost, yeah, The Lost Boys, which is a great movie. Um, Succession. And also Let the Right One In, wait, which wait. is a great Hold on. movie. <laughs> I think one of them is not like the other. One of them is not like the other. They're, they're, I don't know what you're talking about. One of them is money vampires. I don't know what you're that's talking about. True. Succession is about a family that sucks the life out of everyone around them. <laughs> it's a great vampire show. They are capitalist vampires. They suck it's the, the blood of money, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's the best show on TV, and it's a, the uh, best vampire show. All right, Anya, you got your succession <laughs> mention. You did it. Every episode, just like you promised last time. I'm so proud of myself for that one. I was like trying. I was like, how am I going to bring succession into it? And I was like, they suck the life and money out of everyone. We're, we're talking about succession. <laughs> Damn, Willoughby, you're only helping my case. I know. It's, it's my curse. Yes, <laughs> I do um, want to okay, say. So- I do want to say though. Yes, shout out to Let the Right One In because I love that movie and I love that it's also another way of evolving the vampire myth into one yeah. being one about um, loss of innocence as well, and the yes. idea that vampirism is almost like it's more of like a curse in any way, and like especially like, the idea that's like a young vampire and all the implications and all the tragedy that comes with it. I love that. Yeah, no, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, um, before I can get my slip in, um, I'm actually a really big fan of The Lost Boys. I love that movie. I think it's so fun. Um, and I highly recommend it for anyone who hasn't seen it and wants to see, like, a more punk take on vampires. It's real fun. Kiefer Sutherland is great in that movie. Um, that reminds and- me, why haven't we seen more punk vampires? I feel like there's such a fun twist on the vampire right? myth. And it like, feels like they go hand in hand. Yeah, because... Catherine Bigelow had a vampire movie that was kind of punk. Which movie was that? Uh, I, believe it was called, I believe it was called Strange Days? Or I've never let seen me, it. Let me look. Hold on, I'm going to look this up. You guys talk. Oh, there was um, also that Only Lover, Lovers Left Alive movie, too, with Tom Yeah, Hiddleston. and I mean, so there have been so many, like, there have been a lot of vampire movies also that seem very intriguing that I haven't seen, like, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night which I never saw, but I heard was amazing. And it's, a, you know, a more nuanced take on vampires. Um, so uh, yeah, okay, like, I, th- I found it. Yes. Uh, Catherine, Bigelow direct- Catherine Bigelow directed a movie uh, called uh, Near Dark in 1987. Uh, and it was about uh, a cowboy named Caleb Colton, played by oh Adrian Pasdar from what? Heroes. Meets I love Gorgeous Adrian. May. At a bar, and the two have an, uh, they basically, uh, become vampire. He becomes a vampire and ha- basically, like, in- gets involved with, like, vampire shit. That it's is- like a, it's like a weird, like, but they're, like, supposed to be, like, pop punk vampires. Oh, that right. is, like, from 19. 19- Bonkers. So. I like it. Um, but clearly, vampires can kind of, they can almost enter any genre. Like that's the fun thing about vampires. Like what we do in the shadows entered the comedy genre and you have, you know, and they did the mockumentary and you have, um, or you can bring them into the more modern times, like Buffy at a high school or true blood in, you know, a small town in Louisiana. And my favorite aspect of true blood is honestly the vampire politics 
um, which is something that I definitely yeah, want to dive into. Those are very good. One, one, one thing I want to dive into um, later uh, as we get into like more themes and stuff with vampires, but like I love hierarchies and politics and the kind of class system of vampires. I think that's a very fascinating aspect of them. Um, and True Blood, I thought, did that very well. And so I always find that very fascinating. But yeah, vampires are just so adaptable and they can kind of be in anything. And I think that's a really fun aspect of them. Um, so we've done our intros for quite some time. Yeah. We've talked a lot about a lot of things. Let's, let's, for the short second half of our episode, let's talk about kind of like their larger themes and meanings. Um, HT, you had a question. I did. And it actually kind of got answered as we were talking more about vampires uh, more recently. But my question is, do you ever think, do you think that vampires will ever go out of style or be seen as old fashioned because they are so rooted in that 18th century Europe, high class um, kind of monster and the themes of chastity and sexuality and deviancy that uh, they're rooted in. But then I was, I think we were answering that question as we were talking about how adaptable they are, especially in terms of the punk rock vampire, because I think that it, that completely does away with the idea that they're like this highfalutin type of high society uh, monster restricted to that. It more deals with the tragedy inherent and like the sort of, the decadence almost of being a vampire, like the the um, the decaying the decaying like wealth almost. I don't know. It's like the idea that uh, the soul lack of yeah yeah. No, I love that. I mean, I think I I don't think they can ever go out of style. I think we've seen it in all that we've discussed already, like in all the different stories we've discussed and how they have literally existed since the dawn of humanity. I do not think vampires will ever go away. However, I think that it is possible to evolve vampires in our storytelling. You know, like in most vampire stories, it is a male vampire going after like a female human. And I think, you know, in the future to kind of keep vamp vampires relevant, you know, we should explore, you know, what more like female vampires look like or what like a queer love story looks like with vampires, you know, or vampires of color and how, cause you know, like vampires do exist, like Africa has their own beliefs about vampires. And so does Asia and China there is, was, I'm not sure if it's still believed, but there was a belief that like this idea of like a dog jumping over a corpse, like would make it undead. Mm. And so like, this idea of them exists all over the world in various cultures. And so, you know, I think, you know, you have to adapt vampires to keep them being relevant, either like with punk rock or exploring them in different cultures or with different identities. Um, but I, as long as we keep doing that and whatnot, I don't think the appeal of vampires will ever go away. Mm. I agree. I think they have, uh, they have a staying power that, um, because they because they are like this sort of um, mysterious creature of the night that we all sort of fear, but also have like a like a curiosity about, uh, which I think like you know like the like the stories about vampires play into that. But I think the real world versions of us have like you know like the vampire story is sort of like exciting and it's sort of like different because it's like oh he's he's like 
supposed to be like handsome and whisk you away, but also dangerous. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's like this sort of, there's like a real world level of curiosity that I think that will never really be uh, satiated. Um, the blood of vampires, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I just yes. I guess it's like, I'm, like I'm Adam Sandler in Hotel I, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Um, and actually, you mentioned that I actually wanted to ask you guys about, because you mentioned kind of like the wealth of vampires and like kind of the, the decaying decadence almost. Yeah, um, I was. I and, thought of another word for it. It's, about, it's like that hedonistic lifestyle. That's what they're representative of. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, if you look at vampires and mythology and storytelling vampires are always very depicted as very well dressed living very decadent life they live in castles most of the time they kind of represent this wealth um and this romance that other creatures don't and why do you think it is the vampires are they're almost seen as like the aristocratic monster mm-hmm. or the wealthy monster and does that make sense? Am I yeah, like, do, no, do you feel that, like that trend? Okay. I think that totally makes sense. Willoughby was saying that earlier too, especially in like the juxtaposition between the, the wealth of vampires, the high society standing vampires versus werewolves. And I definitely think that they have their aristocratic roots. You see it, especially in Dracula. Um, but it's something think- that has carried over and even into the idea of them being like that punk rock sort of vampire too that they're untouchable in some ways because they are either above us or outside society. They don't live by society's rules or they're exempt from society's rules. I think it's because they can pass for human Mm. Um, and that they are able to, they are able to get away with things that other creatures such as werewolves or swamp creatures or Frankensteins can't get away with. They can get away with like, hosting various parties at night where they don't have to go out into the sun and they could they could look like very just pale white humans and there's also the whiteness of it all like Mm -hmm. they you know that's that's sort of like like vampires are described as very pale and for as long as vampire the the modern vampire myth like that's how what they've been described as and and like white people have always held like like the positions of power in stories and like the, the, the themes of that um, can correspond with vampires um, in terms of like how they're described, how they are, like why they are the aristocrats of the, of the, of the mythological world. Um, and I think that it's also sort of the theme of sucking the rest of everyone dry. Mm. So like money, like, like we were joking about the, the capitalist vampires of succession, but I think that that's a very real theme that I think that they, um, that they play, that that writers play into when they're talking about vampires and why Dracula is this like count from Transylvania who is very very rich because he's also very old. That's the other thing. Vampires are like at least the rich vampires are old, so their money is like rooted in like the gold from the earth's core essentially, which mm-hmm. is like they've been around here for a long time. They've had a long time to acquire lots of wealth and blood, and so they've been able to 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 stick around. And so, and yeah, like they can pass for human. And so like, you've got creatures, you've got like Jekyll and Hyde's and vampire and like werewolves who can't control what they look like. And so they are more prone to like humans destroying them. But whereas vampires can sort of get away with that, you know, I um, dig and they more... can also, they oh. can also hypnotize. Yeah. Oh, that's true. 
Um, I want to dig more into what Willoughby brought up about the um, themes of race, because I think that's a really potent point. But I think it, first I want to say that I think it all boils down to the fact that vampires don't have a soul. And it's the idea of what humans are capable without that moral um, compass, without that, that conscience that keeps us within society's borders and society's limitations that we are capable of something that's so evil and with by doing so we are able to maintain our top our point our like places at the top and that's what vampires i think really um represent the idea of soullessness being you know a a symbol of, of evil but at the same time if we don't have that soul we are able to fight like bite and kill and maim our way to the top and that's why they keep their status at the top or outside of society's rules like you see with the the other variations of vampire the punks the the child vampires and that kind of thing they manipulate darwinism Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i wanted to add something real quick before we get on to the 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 race discussion which i think is very interesting as well but Real quick, I have just been thinking about this a lot. I also think there's an aspect to the idea, like, they don't have a soul and all these things, but also the fact that they're immortal, Mm. I think it's really big because the immortality lends this idea of elitism about vampires because they've been around for so long. They have seen so many things that they consider themselves kind of above humans because they have seen the petty wars humans get into or the, you know, like, petty emotions that humans have until they kind of consider themselves above it because they've been around for so long. They have observed humans. They were once human themselves and they kind of see themselves as above humanity at this point now and their immortality. I think it's interesting that you rarely ever see a vampire who is maybe like hopeful or optimistic or in, in, in their like nature because vampires kind of through their immortality develop a sort of like cynicism about the world because they have seen so much of it and they have seen the very ugly parts of it. And they are part of that ugliness because their whole existence uh, relies on them basically having a parasitic relationship with humanity. Speaking of, Parasite, great movie, and has some standing upon our our discussions of class and vampirism going on Oh, I love it. It's not about vampires, but very similar topics. (laughs) It, yeah, I mean, it is, it's just, it's very, it's all these things, all these elements of vampires, what make them vampires, like the things that when you become a vampire, the things that are forced upon you, not having a soul, being immortal, these things really shape them and kind of create the sort of more dangerous, dark creatures that they are. Um, and one of the biggest, I think, stories that people have come back to time and time again are the vampires who wish to kind of retain some of their humanity. Mm. And how vampires struggle with that, like, duality of they remember being human and what that was like and they want to maintain that. But their vampiric urges can be too much to, like, put down. And so that is also something that I think the duality, similar almost to werewolves in, like, being a wolf but also still being human and kind of how you, like live with both of these realities inside of you. And I think for vampires, that is also very true of their existence um, and how it shapes them. So let's get into the idea of vampires and race, because Willoughby made that great point about whiteness and how vampires are always depicted as these pale creatures um, who can pass as humans. So white humans. And where do you want to begin? 
there's a lot there, isn't there's there? There's a lot. Uh, I mean, I do think I want us to go back to what you were saying before um, in your like little brief history recap of vampires, and I found that really fascinating that it had to do with um, the Bal- Balkans. Um, and that sort of it actually stemmed from like an immigrant fear almost that it sounded like can you go yeah into that? It, it it stems i mean it stems from i would say it mostly just stems from an idea of ignorance mm. on a variety of topics because like i said so part of it is with the ignorance about like what decomposition looks like and like the scientific truth behind what happens to a human body when it dies and decays and people didn't really know kind of what that meant and why the bodies changed after they died. Um, and so that was part of it. But then also, yeah, I think the idea of an other mm-hmm. sort of, of someone coming in who is different than the culture and society that you know, coming in and kind of like sucking out the life that you have. And so I think there is an interesting aspect to the idea that of an other type thing. And the fact that like vampires hail mostly from like Eastern Europe, yeah, which again, still white, but they're like white passing, white passing. And also they have these thick accents and these very different cultures than Western Europe, mm-hmm. which okay. we kind of more readily accept, like, readily accepted like the stand like the standard of like whiteness i guess in society and so vampires come from this very different place and i think you know kind of the fear of the unknown and the fear of these creatures that might look like us but only in some ways but act differently and have different cultures and beliefs and what are they going to come in and take from us Mm -hmm. or how are they going to destroy are like good God-fearing society when they themselves are like demonic creatures. Yeah, I think you really nailed you're, it. You're, because... throwing around, you're, you're throwing around a lot of Republican talking points about <laughs> not straight white males. Oh boy. I, I think you really nailed it, Anya. Um, the idea of the other and that fear of that white passing other coming in and basically infiltrating our society and taking from us the... <laughs> our jobs and our like aristocracy um aristocracy um but what i do think is interesting in that is that in even if it's about the other and that fear of the other it still um leaves out it still like prevents people of color from being part of that because i think it stems very much from that white passing nature of it and um people of color in the meantime are relegated to much more primitive monsters uh the ideas of the zombie the ideas of even the werewolves and everything they are often relegated to that so i think that even if vampires it's interesting that vampires is like in that weird dichotomy of being about that fear of the other and yet still being above the idea of the fears that have to do with people of color it's also interesting. Um, I just looked this up because I remember having read it when I was preparing for this episode, but I couldn't remember the exact um, specifications of it. But specifically in Asia and their beliefs around vampires, they often depict vampires as women. 
Mm. which is very interesting and different than the sort of Western idea of vampires. Um, so specifically in the Philippines, um, I pulled up this article about it. Uh, there are two main kind of vampire creatures of myth in the Philippines. Um, and they are both in, they both come in the form of women or female presenting bodies. Mm. Um, so the first is the uh, Mandarugo and it takes the form, it says, of an attractive girl by day and develops wings and a long, hollow, thread-like tongue by night. And the tongue is used to suck up the blood from a sleeping victim. And so the second creature is the Menangal. I'm totally butchering that. I'm sorry. Um, but this one is described as being an older, beautiful woman capable of severing its upper torso in order to fly into the night with huge bat-like wings and prey on unsuspecting sleeping pregnant women in their homes. And oh, they oh, use oh. they use their tongues to suck the fetuses from oh, pregnant women. Dang. Oh gosh. So, yeah, so so vampires in uh, in different cultures can be much much different than our like idea of just romantic sucking your blood and sucking from your neck type things. Um, <laughs> um and uh, in Malaysia, there's a vampire who is also a woman who um, attains her beauty and her powers to the use of black magic. And so I think it's very interesting that in these cultures, vampires are almost seen ex explicit or not explicitly, exclusively as women mm. <laughs> and women who go around sucking either blood or life forces you know, from people, and I do find and, it interesting. And, like, and almost like preying on younger women in certain in certain stories. Yeah. So that's like a weird, like, there's like sexism going on there, but also like internalized. There, like it's it's very it's very odd. It's mm -hmm. very well, different. It's like the fear of the evil stepmother usually... in like in every yeah. fairy tale. The the stepmother is usually the one that has so, is cast as evil because she is very powerful and assertive and um taking and the place of the took mother your father yeah exactly it's some in older fairy tales it's actually just the mother it's not just the, it's not the stepmother just they, the mother. yeah in um in like Grimm and hans it's christian anderson once they change it to the stepmother to make it less <laughs> just uh close to home yeah That's sad <laughs> but i do find it interesting that like what we think of vampires are usually these wealthy, conventionally attractive, white-passing men who are powerful and seductive and, you know, rich and decadent and present this lifestyle that is very alluring. But when you look at vampirism in other cultures, and especially the cultures of people of color, it's very different yeah, it's than more, how the West... It's more violent. First of all, it is. Yeah, it's also. Yeah, it just in it. It it's it looks. It seems to be at least from what you've described, less about uh, class and wealth and more about like fears of the un of the unknown. Which I mean, they're all about the fear of the unknown. But like this, the at least with vampires of the West, it seems to be much more about like social societal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting when you think about vampires. I mean, they are. A very intimate creature. The idea of sucking someone's blood is a very intimate act. You have to get close to them and 
you are taking from them in this very intimate physical way. And so I also think that when you look at sort of the myth around vampires and other cultures and how physical it is and how intimate it is, it also takes on a different meaning. Cause I think there's also something to be said about like the idea of the human body and what it means in vampirism yeah. and uh, sort of like mutilating it or, you know, taking it for your own when it does not belong to you is really interesting and yeah. sort of babbling. No, I but, think it makes a lot of sense. And it's there's, like the there's idea. There's also the other thing. Oh, we haven't ahead. talked about this. We haven't talked about this at all, but like you can pass vamp- vampirism on to others. Mm-hmm. We haven't like, that's usually, and like werewolves have that, but like there are, you know, it, it, there is something about like turning someone into a vampire about and spreading this disease or this this version of of a of a creature to other people and then they become a vampire and like spreading that and like you know and like the like there's like the 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 person who turns you into a vampire and like that relationship between like who like your you as a vampire versus the person that turns you into a vampire um, which is like explored in Buffy in really in, uh, interesting ways um, that Angel has uh, and Spike and whatnot. So like it's and like and True Blood and like just the way that all all that comes into it, that's like a whole nother wrench in in that um, in the, in what we've been talking about. Yeah, um, what Anya was saying earlier too about the life force and that the idea of the body being. Um, invaded in some way I think it's interesting that it's always blood or usually blood that's being taken out which is a very literal uh, uh, version of our life force it's what keeps us alive it flows throughout our body and um, in va- when vampires suck that out they're literally like sucking our life and I like that the vamp- versions of vampires in cultures of a color take that life force idea much more literally yeah, and I think, um, you know, there are also interesting ideas of, like, consent mm-hmm. in, in here as well, and how, like, you know, like we see in, like, Bram Stoker's novel, Dracula, Dracula ends up stalking one of the main characters, Lucy, and him taking her blood is against her consent, and it sort of ruins her physically, and her health, and her mental well-being, but we've also seen in other storytelling that the idea of taking someone's blood in a consensual way can also be something that's very sexual in nature. I think a lot, um, you know, True Blood was an HBO show, so so there were a lot of sex scenes. Um, but in many of the sex scenes uh, between either two vampires or a vampire or a human, often, you know, part of the, the foreplay or, you know, the sexual acts when they were being together was about a vampire like sucking the blood from their partner and their partner consenting to it and the vampire not doing it in a way that would like literally drain them of their blood to kill them but it it becomes an almost a shared act of intimacy and sexual pleasure which i also find very interesting and that Mm. we have kind of taken this thing that you know we once depicted only as like this fear and this like this like terrifying vampirism that someone would come and take our life force and kill us and 
in this most intimate way. But now we have also started to see it as this very like intimate sort of romantic sexual mm. thing if you have consenting partners. They do, that. Was, they do um, that in Buffy too when in the season yeah. three episode when um, uh, Angel drinks Buffy because he's dying and it needs to be a slayer's blood. So she's like, drink me. And that's the scene that Joss Whedon was like, I'm surprised it got past the, the censors because it was like his most explicit scene without being actually about sex that he, that he had on the show because it's filmed very much like a sex scene. There is a in Blade. Have you guys watched Blade? Have you seen Blade? Seen Blade. I want to. Um, very badly. That the very all all three movies are on uh, Hulu, and uh, I, re- I watched Blade one, and at the very end, before like the big battle, to save uh, uh, the love interest. I'm forgetting her name uh, because she, it, the movie was not great um so and uh so i'm trying to like remember who the character's name is but blade ends up sucking her blood and it's filmed like a sex scene and it's very like there's like back and forth movement and like moaning and very much like like if you if you just had it on audio you'd assume it's a sex scene essentially um but and it's like just like very passionate in a way in a weird creepy way because it's also like he's sucking blood out of her um uh, because oh, because like Blade needs to uh, uh, drink blood to survive to be as like a half breed vampire, um, and he's like almost on death's doorstep, and she basically like willingly gives her blood to him so that way he can be recharged, and the way that it's done is very sexual and very like passionate and very much like of what you guys were just saying, where like when it's this weird when it's this weird consensual thing that's happening between a vampire and a human, it's like almost like sex in this way. Mm-hmm. Agree. Absolutely. And it's it, it can be part of the appeal of them. Um and that's the thing, right? Vampires can be both dangerous and seductive. They can be both, you know, terrifying and enchanting. Yeah. Like they they exist in so many dualities which I think is part of the appeal of them and why I love them and why I think we will forever go on loving them and telling their stories. And I think that's really what gets to the heart of the Hotel Transylvania series. <laughs> it's a good episode, guys. You can like, subscribe on you on SoundCloud. Uh, I'm at Willoughby Dobbs. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that ends our episode on my very deep philosophical note and Willoughby's shitpost note, which and, is... And me saying I just want to date a vampire. <laughs> of course you do. No, I would rather not. The it would to be a terrible was relationship. Saying, just wants, he wants a nice Timothy Chalamet. I do. I just want to take care of him and feed him soup. <laughs> God. And have him suck your blood. He needs it, obviously. Have you seen I him? Need... No. <laughs> he is a he's a pale, sickly boy, and he needs your blood. He needs my blood and my love. I just want to hug the pain out of him. Uh, the Little Women reboot is really weird, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. So I think that ends our episode, don't you? I, I think, think that's I think that's a great way of ending our episode on. Um, vampires and all things spooky and sexy so let's move on to the last segment of our episode i really 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 like you but i need to tell you something i really 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 like you 
Hey, Anya, what do you really like this week? I really like the film festival Beyond Fest, which is a genre film festival here in L.A. uh, that lasts a couple weeks. And I attended it uh, for the past two weekends. It, um, like I said, it's a genre festival um, specializing in horror, but it has also other genre films. It also, it um, at the festival, they premiered the West Coast premieres of both Parasite and Jojo Rabbit, neither of which I was able to get tickets to. Oh, no. But, yes. Uh, but I, I saw three movies at the festival, and I just want to briefly mention them, because um, they are all very good. Two of which are new, and one of which is an oldie, but a goodie. So the new movie that I saw, real quick, I saw The Lodge, which is more of a psychological thriller, or psychological horror, than like a straight-up horror film. Um, it stars Riley Keough and Richard Armitage, and two very talented young child actors. Um, and it is about a new family. Uh, because the father, Richard Armitage, and his two children, um, Richard Armitage is, is getting divorced, and he has intru- is introducing his kids to his new young girlfriend, played by Riley Keough, and they go up to the family cabin around Christmas time, and it is very isolated. There is a snowstorm, and Riley Keough's character is the only survivor of a suicide cult, and so very spooky things start happening um, and you don't know if they're there in your head or if they're really happening. There's a lot of religious themes and, um, you know, discussions. And it's just one of those movies that really, like, seeped into my bones and stayed there. Um, it's very good. I highly recommend it. it. It's not necessarily scary, but it's more kind of disturbing and um, aesthetically very unnerving and it will just kind of stay with you long after you see it so that's the lodge which i highly recommend and then i also saw little monsters the new zombie comedy movie starring lupita nyong'o and josh gad that's actually streaming on hulu now yeah it is it's a hulu original and it is so good please watch it you guys it takes place in australia lupita nyong'o is a kindergarten teacher and she takes her class on a field trip Um, and on this field trip, a zombie apocalypse breaks out. And the fun thing about this movie is that zombies are a known thing. There have been zombie breakouts before. So, like, authorities have dealt with them before. So, like, authorities will be like, oh, we have another zombie apocalypse. Like, oh, but are they fast or slow this time? And they're like, oh, they're slow. And they're like, thank God, like, I hate when they're fast. (laughs) And so it's, like, a known thing in this world, which is really fun. Um, it is, Lupita Nyong'o kicks ass. She's both, like, delightful and charming and loving and totally badass. Josh Gad, you've never seen him in a role like this. He is a piece of garbage. And he will make you crack up in all the worst ways. He is terrible. I love him so much. He plays sort of like a... Um, sort of like a... He's like a television personality for little kids. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you realize that in real life, he's actually... A terrible, terrible person. Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, oh, so like, so like, a, like Bob Saget was uh, in yeah. the zombie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Um, and so they all get stuck there together with the kids and another chaperone, and chaos ensues, and it's very funny. The children are all very delightful and charming and very Australian, and it's just a really fun movie. You will laugh a lot. And it's on Hulu now, so go see that. Um, And then, last but not least, I got to see my very favorite horror movie, 
Um, Evil Dead. Well, technically, Evil Dead 2 is my favorite, but Evil Dead is also good, and it started the whole thing. But I got to see Evil Dead on the big screen for the first time at Beyond Fest. It was in 4K, and it had a brand-new score, and the band, the orchestra, the small-person orchestra, it's like a quintet string orchestra and a percussion guy um, who did the new score. They were there to give us kind of a mini-concert before the movie screening, which was beautiful, and Evil Dead is just my favorite. I love it so much, and I've never seen it on the big screen, and it was so gorgeous in 4K, and the new score was sent chills down my spine, and I just love that movie and Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. So, basically, long story short, Beyond Fest, really liked it. It was a lot of fun. I can't wait to go again. It's a great film festival, very well organized, um, and I got to see some good new movies, so highly recommend checking out The Lodge and Little Monsters. Yay! All hey, right, hey. Willoughby, why don't you go yes. next? What's your really like this week? Guys, The Good Place is back, and it has been for three weeks, and we haven't talked about it. We haven't, uh, it's true. It is very good. Uh, the show continues to upend expectations in just the most brilliant of ways. Uh, episode three, I don't want to spoil it, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a game changer or anything, but like it is, it just sort of uh, solidifies that this is definitely one of the best shows on television right now um, in terms of joke writing, in terms of storytelling, um, acting. Kristen Bell is doing amazing work, especially this season. Uh, she has to play not only just like her like character who's like a trash bag from Arizona, but also like very, very sad because of what happened last season and has to do like a combination, has to like play up her sort of personality that we've known her character to be, but also there's this like deep underlying sadness uh, that is just sort of uh, um, compelling to watch. And like, there's this like a level of seriousness in this show, even though it's a wonderful comedy, but like there's this like backbone of of, of sadness that is just sort of permeating throughout the season that um, hopefully is resolved because it's the final season. Um, and we've only got like 10 episodes left, but I think it's going to be a really great season if, if the, the first three episodes are anything to, uh, if, if that's supposed to be a prediction for anything. Uh, I, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about to see where things are going. But yeah, The Good Place on NBC. It's a perfect show and Chidi and Eleanor need to, what if need they to make never, it through this. What if they I, never end up I, again? No, stop. So I, I, I cannot accept if Mike Schur kept Chidi and Eleanor apart. I... No, I can't. I love them so much. I'm honestly right now heartbroken that uh, Janet and Jason broke up. Poor little J and Blake Bortles. Like, Blake he had to find out about Blake Bortles. Oh, yeah. He's he, such like, a she's sad like, little I hate, boy. I hate to pile on. <laughs> it's like you get you you get broken up with your beautiful AI girlfriend who makes you very happy, and then you also find out that like, your favorite player is off your favorite team. And it's like, my God, poor Jason. And he's one, two, in a not hell. <laughs> We're trying to save yeah. humanity. And, That's hard. It's a hard life. There's, there's, there's really good new characters this season that are like terrible to, to. I mean, they're great, but they're terrible people, and you just want to like uh, punch, throw them into actual hell. Like, uh, it's, uh, it's wild, and like, yeah, it's a very good, very good season, very good season of, of a good place. All right. It's my turn for my really like. And guys, I saw my favorite movie of the year, Parasite. This 
is a masterpiece. And uh, the culmination of all of Bong Joon-ho, Bong Joon-ho's uh, tonal uh, uh, high wire walking of satire and savage black comedy and really just amazing melodrama and um, social commentary. It's amazing. He's so good. I, it's a movie that's best seen without knowing anything. So I can't spoil anything here. Uh, but it's fantastic and it's such a great depiction of social, social class anxiety and stratification and all of those things. And I just, I love it a lot. And I love it so much that I'm not really able to talk about it very coherently. It's we'll definitely that- do. We'll talk about it when we yeah. see we'll, it. We'll, we'll talk about it later. I know, Willoughby, you're seeing it this upcoming week. I am also seeing it this upcoming week. So we will all have seen it. Uh, very soon and we can discuss it I'm so excited Ah. honestly what a good couple weeks for movies we have Parasite out Jojo Rabbit's coming out The Lighthouse like The Lighthouse is also great oh I haven't talked about The Lighthouse which I love there's too many movies there are so many good movies this month it is picking our movie to review is going to be very difficult this month guys yeah and I was I thought I was seeing Parasite this week because I bought the ticket on the movie theater that I was going to go to. And it was, I was so excited. I was like first showing of Friday and I was like, hell yeah, 7:45. And Friday morning, I look at the ticket and it says Thursday, October 17th at 7:45, And I was like, I thought it was playing this weekend because everybody on my timeline was so excited about it. So I was like, Oh, I got to buy my ticket. And when I bought the ticket, I didn't look at the date. I just bought the earliest showing and the earliest showing is next week instead because in it's only playing right now in New York and Los Angeles. Next week it's going a little bit more wide, and so DC is getting it. And it's only playing so in like, one theater in New York at that at the Lincoln Center. Really? Just yeah. the one? Yeah. It's only playing in one theater here too, which is Dang. honestly a piece of mad genius that is very typical of Bong Joon Ho. So. Yeah, uh, I'm at least, so excited. It, it's at least playing in in three theaters next weekend in DC: the Angelica and both Landmarks. Uh, yeah, so it's I'm seeing be... it at, at E Street Cinema. Everyone oh, love E Street Cinema. I miss that place. Yeah, see, see Parasite. It is funny and and heartbreaking and terrible and great all at the same time. And I think you guys will all love it. <gasps> I can't wait. HT for those of, for those people who may not be familiar with Bong Joon Bong Joon Ho by name, what other films has he directed? Bong Joon Ho is much, very much known for his genre films. Actually, he's directed the monster movie The Host, that was his breakout film um, in the international scale. He's also directed Memories of Murder, which is streaming on Amazon Prime now. You should check it out. It's his first film, and it is just excellent right out the gate it it tells the story of korea's most prolific serial killer who was never caught until just recently actually the oh serial, yeah, yeah i saw that news story yeah it's a very much a great compliment to seven to david fincher seven if you ever saw that it's very similar tonally but in a much more i would say um unsettling and savage way I say savage a lot, but that's very much the line that Bong Joon-ho likes to walk. It's very razor sharp and 
uh, genre mixing. Uh, another movie that he's directed is Mother. Uh, you also probably heard of Okja, which is on Netflix now, as well as Snowpiercer, which is also on Netflix. Snowpiercer is the the sci-fi dystopic film starring Chris Evans and t- take place on a train. So if you guys might, might have heard of some of his films, but they all have similar themes of class stratification and genre blending that all come to fruition uh, in the most explosive and devastating way in Parasite. Nice, because I remember seeing Snowpiercer and there was a big like class metaphor in that and that was adapted from a graphic novel. So I don't know if the graphic novel has the same um, part of that, but like I, I remember that being like a big part of that movie and Okja has like uh, like more capitalist all, like all satire with capitalism as well. Um, and Okja is a Netflix original, so I think people could watch that right now mm-hmm. on Netflix. I think Snowpiercer is also still streaming on Netflix. So, oh good. Yeah, I have to I have to do a Bong Joon Ho uh, rewatch. Yeah, we should do a Bong Joon Ho episode at some point, guys. That we should when Parasite comes out. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, I want to watch this first movie now because it sounds amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, now that it's on Amazon and it's also like in the news and stuff, that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is our episode for the week. Do you guys have any thoughts on vampires or any of our really likes, including Parasite, The Good Place, um, or things like Beyond Fest or other fun new movies you guys have seen, like The Lodge and Little Monsters? Come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. Ah, that's not exact. That's the very opposite of the accent. Whatever. I don't care. Oh, no. Well, now you're going to make me do it. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Okay. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. It's a ghost cup. <laughs> and you can find me at Willoughby Adults on Twitter. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. (laughs) Bye. Bye.